0: what's up this is the nowhere to go but up podcast I'm your host Sean Dustin this is episode six today we're talking to Richard Kaufman also known as the comeback coach for his help uh, well actually for his work helping veterans and people in general overcome their addictions to drugs and alcohol PTSD you know anything related to you know veterans and what they co- they go through when they come back home. Uh, Richard is one of the most successful, or, or runs one of the most successful GNCs in New Jersey. He spends uh, a lot of his time doing public speaking. He's an author of a book called "The Hero's Journey" that's available on Amazon Books. Uh, he also has a Facebook page that has quite a few followers, uh, and there he, you know, does a weekly uh, Facebook live video. Uh, talking about and inspiring other people and his followers to live life right and uh, how to overcome addiction and the struggles that many uh, veterans face when they come home from deployment or uh, when they get out of out of the military and they're looking for their next thing, uh, the next thing they're going to do. So without further ado, let's get to Richard.
1: Good morning, Richard. How's it going?
2: I'm doing awesome. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing great. Doing great. So why don't you tell uh, our audience a little bit about yourself? Um, the the best way I can describe what what my pos- my podcast is is basically it's a cheap shot of of a na or na, you know, because basically I'm doing the same thing, you know, experience, strength, hope, and and all that stuff wrapped up in a podcast. Okay. So why don't you go ahead and uh, and tell us about yourself and and what you're doing?
2: Okay, I could give you a, a a quick down and dirty what I uh, well what I do it and I'll tell you I could tell you why I do it. Um, my goal is to um, help as many people that are struggling with health, fitness, or addiction related issues. Um, I've been clean for. I don't know, over over 30 years now. Um, haven't touched anything stronger than an aspirin in 30 years. Um, well, my story comes, um, I have three parts to my story, so I hope I don't bore you guys at all. Um, I come from a very poor um, family. Father left when I was like three months old. He hauled ass. Um, mom was a nurse, so she got stuck with a three-month-old baby and a house payment, car payment, so she had to work a lot, and uh, we moved around a lot, and I probably went to, like, 11 or 12 different schools by, that turn, by the time I turned, uh, like, 12, and my story has, for some reason, New Year's Eve has a big imp- importance in my life for some reason I don't know why um, New Year's Eve I, was, I think I was like 12 my parents and my and my aunt and uncle went out for New Year's Eve and um, me and my cousins were left home to our own devices and uh, we found my mom's l- liquor cabinet and I got drunk for the first time at like 12. And uh, by the age of 13, I was a full-blown alcoholic. And uh, so but I dropped out of school uh, in ninth grade, so I only have a ninth grade formal education. I became an emancipated minor, which means if I got, if I got in trouble, I go to jail just like an adult would at 16 i was walking past an <clears throat> army recruiting station and i've seen videos of tanks and stuff i was like oh that's cool i get i'd like to go blow shit up so i joined the military um, and uh, i left basic training a, a couple weeks after my 17th birthday got to uh basic training Gotten well, a little bit of trouble because I was just, I was just a wise ass. I had a smart mouth kid from the street, and then I got my to my first duty station, which was Fort Hood, Texas. Um, so I'm, eight, I'm about around 18 years old at this time. I found uh, acid. I started taking acid every weekend for like two and a half years. So not only did I was I a drug addict, I was an alcoholic. Got in trouble a lot. I always got in trouble. I was always that guy. I was the guy that everybody warned you not to be around. That was me. Until they decided that the military didn't want me anymore. And they threw me out for being a drug addict and alcoholic. So I get home. I had to tell my mom that uh, they let me out early because I, I was such a good soldier that I got release a good behavior, it was like jail, kind of. She believed me, but I think she knew that I was lying. I got home, you know, after living for two and a half years, traveling the world and partying all night, all, you know, only getting two, three hours sleep all, every day, to come home and having to be in bed at 10 o'clock because they had to work the next morning. Um, didn't work too well, so they they booted me out which I don't blame them now as, a, as, as an adult and a father. I don't blame them now. So getting booted out, that's a big thing in my life, as you're, you can tell over so far in my story. Um, I got. I was working for my ex-girlfriend's father-in-law, my, my, my ex-girlfriend's father. Um, I'm probably the only person you're ever going to talk to that's gotten thrown out of a crack house. Um, I, I was in a, living in a crack house, and I mean, I was making good money, probably about a thousand dollars a week, but I still couldn't pay the little boarding fee, which is like a hundred bucks a week. So they threw me out. So I, I lived in my car for like probably about a year, and then I, I sweet talked my mom into coming back into the house. I told her I was going back to school, and she was proud of me. Actually, I went to back to school to be a bartender. I went to bartending school, <laughs> being an alcoholic <laughs> bartender. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That that, that exactly. Um, so this is this is another New Year's story. Uh, I get my first job after I graduated from uh, train, uh, bartender school. A friend of mine owned a, uh, a bar down in New Jersey. He was a police officer get to the job, New Year's Eve 1989 and uh teaches me what I gotta do. Liquor's flowing, the money's flowing, everything is good. People buy me drinks. I wake up like eight hours later with like five or eight thousand dollars in my pocket. Um, knocking on the door. It was him and with his buddies, the police department. Uh, but, coming to lock me up because i robbed the place and uh he said you know he he knew that i was young i mean i was still only 19 20 years old something like that he said you got a choice said you can either go to aa well first you got to pay the money back so i had to pay all the money back that i uh all the drinks i gave away for free and then i had to uh so my aunt and uncle, stepfather, mom helped me out. Come up with that money. So I only had 24 hours to come up with it. But he told me if I did not go to AA, I had to go to AA for 90, 90 meetings in 90 days. I had to sign in every day uh, or else I was going to jail and I was looking at uh, five years. I was looking at at least five year time, uh, prison sentence, so. You know, back then I was too pretty to go to jail. So I, uh, I did like 355 meetings in a row or something like that. And I haven't had a, uh, a drink or a drug since 1989.
1: Wow. Good so you. that's
2: one part of my story. And I got two other parts, but do you have any questions about that?
1: No, I mean, I, I definitely relate to you cause I, myself, I, was getting kicked out of everything i i I got kicked out of preschool how do you do that um
2: you got me beat on that one i can't that one i can't compete with
1: yeah i it just it didn't matter whatever i touched or whatever i did you know was was all it was all about trouble you know I i was the same way just uh just a clown couldn't stay still in school always always you know Trying to challenge authority, being a smart ass, talking back, you know, any, any kind of authority, I'd always challenge it.
2: Yep. That was me, brother. I, I could, I can so relate to that.
1: Well, yeah, go ahead to your uh, second part.
2: <laughs> um, okay. So I, I get clean, I get sober, um, I decide to make a, a change A move, so I moved from New Jersey to Pennsylvania. And then I got a hair up, my wild hair up my ass. I decided to rejoin the military, and they let me rejoin because when they put me out, they gave me a a reenlistment code where it's called an re three, I think, to where you can get back in if you have stayed out of trouble, but you have to get people to say that you know you're a good person, blah blah blah. So I joined, I joined uh, Pennsylvania.
1: Uh, you cut out. You there? Okay.
2: All right. So I joined the Pennsylvania National Guard. Um, and... Unfortunately, if you people that have been in the rooms, you know, they know that there's a difference between being sober and being a dry drunk. And that's what I was. Um, I was still an asshole. And um, I still had that, that chip on my shoulder. So I still, got, I still got busted a few times just for being stupid and for, you know, just being that wise ass, smart ass always having smart comments and um, I was about to get thrown out of the Pennsylvania national guard until I moved. So I moved back to, I moved to South Carolina and I joined the South Carolina national guard. Now that was a whole different animal because now, you know, I'm in country, I'm in the country country. And I'm not only a smart ass, but I'm a smart ass from the North. So I'm a Yankee with a bad attitude and uh got busted a couple times just for being stupid for missing formations and uh they told me i'm gonna i'm about to be chaptered out at the end of september of 2001 so uh, i wake up one tuesday morning and uh my ex-girlfriend at the time calls me and i was getting ready for work she says rich you got to see this and i and, I, and the TV was on, and I, I seen the first plane hit the tower, the first tower. Uh, this was the morning of 9-11. And coming from New Jersey, um, we all knew people that worked in the towers and were in the towers that day. And, uh, and then I seen the second tower get hit. And uh, something broke in me that day. I just broke down, cried, and uh, became I became a broken man, which I, I've always been that guy that's always been a hardcore who who And uh, I literally was broken that day. And I asked God, I said, God, if you give me a chance to let me have my military career back, I dedicate the rest of my, my military career to helping those that can't help themselves. Called my company, my lieutenant, my commander, and I said I called them. I asked if I can come in and talk to them. And I actually went in and just sat there and cried in front of two grown men, which is a very humbling experience. You know. And uh, and they said, yeah, we've all heard, we've heard your story before. Um, you know, you've always begging for another chance, another chance. And they said, but something they said something touched their heart and they did give me a second chance and within two years I um, won soldier to year i became a non-commissioned officer and i ended up spending uh 24 years in the military and uh so that's the second part that was the biggest change in my life and then i moved to new- back to new jersey i'm joining the national guard here and on my first training exercise one of our vehicles broke down along the highway and I had to get him off the road. So I pulled behind him and I had to back him off of the road. And instead of him hitting the brakes, he hit the gas and ran over my whole right side of my body and my head. And, um, and that's how I became blind in my left eye. And, uh, so if continued. continue, I fin- finished my, my training exercise, came home and then totally lost vision in my left eye. And in the military, if you can't shoot, they don't need you. So uh, not only did I lose my career, I lost my vision. And I got into a really, really deep, dark depression. Um, definitely committed, tried to me, um, thought about suicide a lot. And then I, I decided I was going to get help. So I went to the VA and now during all this time, still didn't pick up a drug, still didn't pick up a drink. Um, and I went to the VA, got help. And then, um, well, what happened was that is all podcasting thing started. My book and everything is so that what all started. I was on a podcast. My friend has a, my, my friend Donnie has a podcast called the success champions. And we were talking about. You know, what I do, because I, what I do for a living, is I run a million dollar general nutrition center, but I also train people. And I have like athletes that were in like the WWE, um, National, National Football League, Major League Baseball. Um, and we were talking about that. And then I started telling him my backstory. And he says, you know what? People need to hear that, you know, what you've been through. And uh, that's how this whole thing started. He said, you know, because everybody loves the comeback story. And that's how I started getting on podcasts and telling people, you know, it's okay. You know, whatever you're going through, just keep going. And that's how this whole thing started with the comeback coach. And just now I'm just, I'm dedicating my life to helping people that are struggling because some people just, they just need somebody to talk to. And a lot of, and I'm that guy that's going to be there for people that uh, need somebody to talk to. So I've been through so much shit that I can, you know, I can empathize. I don't ever sympathize, but I empathize. There's a big difference. So that's my story in a nutshell. Whatever questions you got, let's go.
1: All right, all right. Yeah, we got a lot of similarities. Um, it's a, uh, it's, it's a tough thing. And thank you for your service, by the way. You know, I don't. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that's a for me. I. It's so natural for some other people to to say that. Like like, but I just I don't know. I just I. I've, I have to, uh, to think about it. Um, when I was, God, I was getting in trouble. I, I, um, it's funny. I wanted to go into the military myself. So I got enlisted into the Navy and went down to maps and, and did all that stuff. Got a, got a ship out date, swore in the first time. And what you don't really know, I mean, that the first time is not, is not the, the, the time that that matters. I think it's the time when you go to, to basic training, that's the one that seals the deal or right before basic training. So I, I knew that or somebody had told me that and I was, I enlisted for all the wrong reasons. It wasn't for me. It was for everybody else. And I was like, I can't do this. I got, I got to get out of this. So I, I I had been in a drug rehab as a, as a minor. Um, and I'm like, Hey, I I, I have a drug problem. I, I can't go. You, you guys don't want me. And, uh, I got out of it, which was probably the worst thing I could have done for myself.
2: Yeah, but you, you probably, God has a reason for everything. So it could have been that when you would have went in the military, you would have gotten into an even bigger drug problem like I did.
1: Yeah, that's true. So
2: everything happens for a reason.
1: Uh, so with your, I know you're a part of some, some Facebook groups, uh, on like PTSD and and stuff like that. Tell me a little bit about that.
2: Um, I'm I'm a, I'm a part of uh, I don't know. Like I looked at it yesterday. It was, it was stupid. It was something like I'm part of like 58 groups or something. Something stupid. Um, I deal with a lot of veterans. Um, I deal with just just some regular people that are dealing with you know. You know, PTSD doesn't have have to be just from military. You know, it could be just going through. um, I've talked to some people that have it because they have abandonment issues. Um, Some people that were picked on as kids and they have their post-traumatic stress. So it's not just people that were in, you know, in in the military. Even uh, people that had past sexual abuse had a lot of post-traumatic stress and it's more common than people actually even think that it really is today.
1: Yeah. I've had, I've had it myself. Um, when I went to prison, uh, that's a very unnatural place to be. And you witness a lot of violence. You have to inflict violence. Um, it's just, yeah, it took me, it took me about a year to decompress when I got out one, to adjust back to society and, and the, catching up on what I missed for three years. But not only that, it was, uh, trying to re trying to, to readjust my thinking going from a hateful, you know, cause you're, you're forced to hate other races. You're forced into a whole new sort of society and way of living. And so when I came back out, I was, I, I had that hate and that, that, uh, you know that mindset and that mentality still and it it took me a little while to to finally uh sort of level out i guess you would say you know i spent a quite quite a little bit of time drunk after that period um you know trying just trying to make sense of everything that happened and you know cuz when you're in it you don't think too much about it except you know it's how you know one foot in front of the other trying to get through it and when you start reflecting back on it and, and taking a look at everything that you had to do and, and, or everything that I had to do, uh, it just, I don't know, maybe it was, it was depressing or I didn't want to think about it. And so the alcohol definitely helped to soothe that. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, it's, it was, you know, post-traumatic for me. And, uh, I'm sure yep. many other people that, you know, gone through worse, uh, prison situations than I did. And you know that that's part of the reason well, why I just,
2: I just had I just had a, I had a guy last week on I do a Monday night show every week on my, my
1: Facebook page, and
2: he was talking about he did five years in uh, Leavenworth, in Kansas, and we we're exactly what we're talking about right now is what I talked about on my show about how he had to conform, and how you know how he when he came back it was try, it was hard to become a, a citizen again, you know because you're like he had some, you know, when you're in jail, like, you know, it's like there's, there's something to do all every day, all day. And then when he got out, he was like, all right, now what do I do? You know, I can go to Wendy's and get something to eat now. It's not, you know, it's like how he he had to become a part of society again. It's like I could totally get what you're
0: talking about.
1: Yeah, and, and another thing that changed too is before I went in, I was like, you know, the social butterfly, uh, you know, guy that everybody go and party with. I sold drugs. I was, you know, in in the club scenes, you know, so I was always out there and when I got back, I just kind of went into a shell and and sort of, you know, that guy, you know, the friendly, jovial, you know, hey, let's go party and this and that. That that guy was dead. He's gone. He's nowhere to be found. And uh It's taken me, you know, I'm I'm definitely a lot better now is, you know, I don't, I don't have any problem going up and talking to people anymore, but I, I, I keep my circle small though. You know, I just don't, you know, when I, when I went to prison, it was because somebody had set me up uh, a friend and just, you just, you just realize that, you know, when you keep your circle small, I mean, you can have, for me, I can have plenty of, of people that um, you know, associations, but like like true people that I have around me that that you know I I share things with or have to my home or any, anything like that like closeness I kind of keep at bay just to to limit the amount of drama that that I allow in my life because you know the more people you have around yeah. you the the more the more shit you're gonna have to deal with
2: like one of my mentors told me he was like you know you're gonna have a lot of associates you're gonna have a lot of people you call friends but in the end on your deathbed who's actually going to be sitting around your bed when you die that's what the what actually really matters to me so if you're you know if you have if you're lucky to have three or four good friends you're blessed and that's you know i i, I was you know I was told that it's better to have five, four shiny quarters than a hundred dingy pennies So that's the way I look at, you know, relationships in my life.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a good way to look at it. So when you were, uh, when you were in the military, um, was, did you, uh, did, was it all just, he, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, just here in the States or did you, did you make your way, uh, to other countries?
2: Yeah, we got we got to travel a lot. I I traveled and you know that's why I don't care if I ever travel again. Um, I don't ever care if I see sand again. Uh, but after a while, I mean, it, it became like a, just a regular job. So it was kind of like when we moved back when we came back to the states, we would get up at like five a.m. do PT work from nine to five and, and, and be off every night. Unless we went to the field, which was like every, every couple of weeks that we had a regular nine to five job, but you know, my nine to five was different than everybody else. Cause I'd get off at five, get showered. I'd be in the club by six partying and drinking and drugging. And I would get back at two in the morning, get three hours sleep and I would do it all again. And then come Friday, I'd find my dealer and I would take my acid, and I would be tripping all weekend. So it was kind of like I was in a a drug and alcohol-fueled lifestyle for like two and a half years. And the way I got thrown out is what happened was they put me on a funeral detail, which that means, you know, somebody dies, you're there, you you do 21-gun salute, you do taps and everything. Um, This was for like a four-star general and what that means if something happens you have to be able to be back on base in like two hours it's called two hour recall um that weekend i didn't think he was going to die that weekend uh i got hammered and i ended up in the jail like five hours away and the guy died that weekend so i missed the whole funeral and that's that was the final straw because my first sergeant had to come get get me out of jail and drive me back five hours and probably the worst tongue lashing I ever got. I got back. They dropped me, dropped my rank down to zero, gave me 45 days extra duty, which means I had to do more work. 45 days. I was restricted to the barracks and on the 46th day is when they chaptered me out threw me out. So I was, yeah, I was not a, I was not a good soldier whatsoever. That's why when I came back and, and finally after 911 got my my shit straight. Um I never missed another formation. I was never late again. Um I was always early and then, you know then I became an officer. So I was I, it's like I I came full circle after
1: 911. Yeah, 911 was a uh I was thinking about you know when you said that like where I was and that and that's crazy cuz there are there's a couple you know when I think natural disasters, if you're a part of, or, or anything that's like really significant, uh, you remember where you were at that point when that happened. And I was living in Arizona at the time and I was, I was working as a uh, cable installer and that I, I was watching the news, you know, in the morning, getting ready to go to work and, uh, it happened and I was like, whoa but I still had to go to work. So, you know, it was the eeriest day I think I've ever encountered in my life. And just eerie in the way that like, there's, there's unease in yourself. You're like, oh man, it's something, you know what I mean? Like what's going on? It's like, it was, it was, it was was strange. And then I had to deal with the public too. And every, and every house that I went to didn't have, uh, you know, I think this is way before like smartphones and, and, and all that. And everybody was just, I don't know, man, I can't explain it. It was just the the weirdest. Every, everybody was quiet and just kind of like in this, like in shock. It was strange. Yeah.
2: And the funny thing is like where I live right now, if I walk up my block, I can see, um, the new freedom tower from my house. And it's just it's a reminder like they actually have um, in front of where they have an overlook to where you can actually see the Freedom Tower. They actually have a piece of the one of the beams from um, the towers and you can actually go touch it and stand by it. So that's what I do a lot of times just, to you know, to remind myself, you know, the pledge that I made that day to help the people that can't help themselves. And I guess that's a part of a big reason why I'm doing what I'm doing now is, you know, even because I can't do it in the military, obviously, but I can help the veterans that are struggling. And I can also help the first responders and just people in general that are struggling with, um, feeling hopeless, you know, that and give people hope. There's not a lot of hope in the world today. It's always negative stuff.
1: The, uh, what's crazy is that you, your drug of choice was, uh, LSD, um, which is a hallucinogenic, uh, and they're really starting to um, use hallucinogenics now, like in, in psilocybin and uh, ecstasy, or MDMA, uh, for PTSD uh, survivors and and uh, in ther- for a therapeutic way. Yeah.
2: Well, the only reason why, to be honest, because some, some, I always get asked, "Well, why'd you take LSD?" Because the only reason I did that, because if you if you took cocaine, they can test for it. If you smoke marijuana, you can test for it. You couldn't test for LSD unless they did a spinal tap. And that cost like $10,000 a test. So I knew that they weren't going to do that. So that was the only reason that was my drug of choice.
1: Ah, uh, you were gaming the system. You figured it out.
2: I was hacking. I was hacking the system before there was a hacking the system.
1: Oh man, that 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 was one of my downfalls. I <laughs> my my mom used to always tell me she's like, if you'd spend just half as much time just doing what you're supposed to do instead of trying to figure out how to get out of doing what you're supposed to do, that so you would you would kill it in life. Yeah. Well, that you know that's
2: that's what. Addicts do. You know, we're always looking for the easy way out, the easy score. You know, but unfortunately, when you get older and you get clean, it's like, all right, you know, even like when you go in your program, you actually have to work the steps. There's a reason why they call it working the steps. You know, you can't – you have to go through the steps. You have to do the work. And after that, you know, in life, you have to do the work. There's no easy – you know, there's no easy way out. You have to, you know – like the navy seals say you know the the only easy day was yesterday.
1: Yeah, that's a good good point. So yep. you do some uh public speaking as well, right? Yep,
2: I just did a great uh, I did one uh, not this Friday. Uh, uh last Friday. Um it's I, I was talking to somebody invited me to guest speak. It's it's um, um American Veterans Archaeology and what it does they set up uh, archaeological digs like they were doing one in Saratoga, New York and uh, the last one they did was in Israel where they actually did an archaeological dig and they invite uh, disabled veterans up to do the work so they can learn to get um, become part of a team and to help with some of the PTSD and um, traumatic brain injury uh, issues. So they invited me up to Saratoga, and it was pretty cool because it was a it was a battlefield where we we were at, we actually fought the British, and it was an actual battle battlefield. And what they were doing, they were trying to figure out what kind of weapons were used, and they found through digging a lot of cannonballs and, and a lot of slugs from from both sides. What kind of weapons were used during this, this war? It was pretty cool. And then um, they asked me to come speak, and uh, the topic of my speech was um, everybody. Everybody loves a comeback story, so it's your time now. And I just talked the way I talked to you. You know, I talked to them that you know, I tell my story, what I've been through, and that you know, you can. Every everybody loves a comeback story, and there's no reason that you can't come back from anything. You know, and I was more inspired because there were guys that I talked to a 24-year-old kid. He's a kid. You know, he's a man, but he's a kid. He had both soldiers replaced, um, both knees replaced, his hips both replaced because of an of an IED. And I was more inspired by just hanging out with a bunch of disabled veterans than I've ever been inspired, you know, being like in the locker room with a the, the New York Rangers, or the Knicks, or Madison Square Garden, or or being with the guys with the WWE, it's just amazing these guys what the check that they wrote to the United States up up to and including their life and how they're dealing with stuff right now. You know, with the PTSD and the tra- traumatic brain injury. It was great. I just got up there and talked, and and then they put me up in in a, a hotel up in Vermont. the night and I got to hang out with them guys all night it was just a blessing to be able to do that and now um I got got a couple speaking engagements coming up uh soon and definitely one in 2020 they're having a big thing at um where the Atlanta Falcons play um I forget the name of the stadium but I'll be doing a public speaking gig there And my book just came out in February so life is just so good man it's so great when you can just help people.
1: Helping people is amazing. Yeah, that's that's you know, that's what I'm here for. Uh I mean, I when I first started, it, you know, I was looking at it in a different way, but um you know, yeah, it's just you got to if you if you've gone through something and and you have uh, you know, like like I have a comeback story, you got your comeback story. I when you go through those things, it's almost like I feel like I have a responsibility now. To try to keep people from making the same mistakes that I did, or at least making people aware that, hey, look, you know, this is possible in life, and and you know, you can make a wrong choice, a wrong turn. One one choice is all it takes for for the trajectory of your life to change dr- drastically, and you got to be aware of that at all times. In um, you know, it takes experience and going through that if nobody's telling you that and so i heard a i heard a really um a really good quote i can't remember where it was it was probably facebook of course um but it said i don't i'm not gonna i'm it's, it's, it was about uh, a father and his his children and he's i went i'm not gonna give you what I didn't have. I'm going to teach you what I know now versus, you know, and, and I'm going to give you my knowledge of life instead of trying to give you the things that I didn't have materially growing up.
2: Well, it makes a lot of sense, you know I mean? Cause unfortunately me, I was a big knucklehead. And I had some great influences in my life, but I just never listened. You know, uh, like my uncle, he he died a multimillionaire, and he only had like a fifth grade education. And I just wish now, as I'm older, I would have listened more when he offered his advice. But you now I, I was just too cool back then to think, oh, uh, you know, what do you know? You know, I know it all. I'm an 18 year old knows it, know it all. Now, as I get older, it seems like I have more questions than I do answers.
1: Uh, Yeah, I I, I get that. I I have a ton of questions, especially, you know, as I get into uh, uh, different things, different podcasts, you know, different rabbit holes. I I definitely have a lot more questions. I I feel like, you know, we, we know less about what we should know than we should know. And that comes you know whether it's government politics whatever it is that you that 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 you're that you're questioning um, or I'm questioning it, it all seems to stem from there and it, you know and who knows and I was going to ask you uh, about a question about nine eleven whether you thought it was uh inside job or or what it really was because uh, there's there's a lot of uh, you know thoughts out there about that as well. You know, and
2: and I tried to read all the conspiracy because I have I've I've read it all I've watched all the videos and I'm just like, you know, I just I mean there was a lot of shady shit that went down. You know, like how did the one building fall down when, um, you know I think it was building number seven, seven? yeah, seven when it wasn't even hit by a plane.
1: Yeah, that was.
2: But then I'm like, you know what? I don't really, because it's it's more personal for me, you know, because it's, you know, people that we lost. Yeah. So it's kind of like, you know, it seems like, like they say, there's always, you know, there's always, there's three sides to every story. There's one side, there's the other side, then there's the truth,
0: <laughs> you know?
2: So it all, it all depends on who's like, like anytime I ever read an article, I have to figure out, okay, who's paying for the article to be written? Who is the author? You know, so it's like, you know, there's three sides to every story. You just got to f- try to figure out the truth between them all. And I, after a while, I just gave up. I'm like, you know what? God's going to take care of it all. Uh, it's above my pay grade. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I, I, I do. I And I got I went down a, a deep rabbit hole with that one, you know, closer to when it came out. I think I think when Loose Change came out. And yeah. I, I was just, uh, I had to stop. I had to pull, I had to pull back because it just, you know, it, it j it, it makes you start asking questions that, that you can't possibly answer. And it just, and then it started, and then, then I started getting, you know, disturbed about, man, what if that's true? And uh, so whatever, I mean, it's, it's, you can't, there's nothing the you can do about it. it.
2: And the funny thing is because I'm, I'm that weird guy. I actually went and bought the not the, um, the commission report and actually read the whole book. And I was more confused after I read the book than I was before I started. So I'm like, you know what? This is, it's, it's not, that's why I don't even deal with politics. I'm like, you know what? This is all about my pay grade. I'm just dealing with my little slice of life, my happy place. And I'm not going to deal with it. Because you get so many people, they just want to argue about stuff. And, you know, life is too short just to be that negative, argumentative person.
1: Yeah, I agree. There's more more positive things you could be out there doing and talking about other than things that you can't control.
2: (laughs) Yep. And like I said, you know, and the reason why people ask me, well, why, why did I write my book? um the reason why it's on amazon not right now but the reason why i wrote it is um like i said when i was talking to my friend donnie he's like you ever see the movie eight mile i'm like yeah he says i want you to watch the last scene and i'm like why he said well just watch it and then call me back so i watched it again and uh i called him back i'm like okay i I don't get it he's like once you put all your dirty shit out, you've done out in the street, nobody could ever talk bad about you ever again. Nobody can ever, you know, say, okay, he was a drug addict. Okay. Yeah. I was a drug addict, but now I have a beautiful wife. I have three beautiful children. I have a beautiful home. You know, what's your excuse? And I, it became cathartic, you know, when I wrote it because then I just, And the funny thing is I had to ask people questions because a lot of times I was too drunk or too high to remember anything. So I actually had to go back and I did make a lot of amends. It was kind of like doing a a fourth step in in AA, but it's in a book form and it became very cathartic. And then I got to thinking, you know, a hundred years ago when I'm dead and gone, you know my grandkids can actually go buy my book and read about what their grandfather went through and and uh i don't know if you know a guy named Gary V i'm sure you do
1: um you, have, you know who he is uh now refresh refresh my memory
2: uh he's the number one guy on social media he's the one that has like 3 million followers on facebook and instagram each and uh I went, I met him, and uh, I talked to him for a few minutes. I said, "Gary, I said, you know, give me a piece of a, a nugget of information I can take home, and that'll change my life and tra- trajectory, like we were talking about." He says, "Rich, legacy will always be more valuable than currency," and that's when I really started working on my, building up my legacy, whatever my legacy is going to be when I'm gone and that's what i focus on that was you know saving lives and changing people changing people's lives my goal is to save a million lives that's my my ultimate goal so that's hopefully that'll be my legacy when i'm gone and they're not going to remember it all the sh- the grimy shit that i did when when i was young
1: that's a good a good uh a good number yeah a good plan um uh, so yeah so yeah,
2: i I've been on like 60 podcasts, something like that. I have a weekly show that gets gets seen a lot. So, and I get people that have said, you know, since I heard you on the podcast, I decided to check myself into rehab or um, I had the, the gun in my mouth, but I decided not to pull the trigger because if you came back from it, I can come back from it. So that's my whole goal. My whole goal of talking to you today is if one of your, your, uh, People that listen to you decide. You know what? I was going to commit suicide this morning, but I decided not to, and I decided I want to live. Then it's all worth it, and that's my whole goal now is just saving lives.
1: That's great, man. That's great. So, how was how hard was the process of of actually writing a book, getting it published, and and all that? Because I'm, I dude, I have tons of stories. I and I. have thought about writing a book myself and so i was just i'm just curious
2: well unfortunately um i'm a low-tech redneck so i actually had to write my story from the beginning of the day i was born and I actually i wrote it all out on uh, one of those little composition books and the yellow pads the, and, and then i had to put everything into word doc, which somebody else had to teach me. So it took me longer than a normal person would because I wrote it out. And then because my writing is so sloppy, I had to try to figure out what I wrote and then I had to put it in word doc. And then I found uh, uh, somebody that helped me publish it and put it into, into a good form because, you know, some, some of the stuff I would write, I would, It sounded good when I wrote it down, but after I, you know, I read it back and I was like, man, you sound retarded. (laughs) So I had to go in and, uh, well, because like I said, you know, I tell people, you know, because people, you know, they know I've been in, you know, the health and fitness industry for 30 years now. And I have, you know, helped all these clients. And they're like, well, you know, what college did you go to? You know, I I tell them, you know, the school of hard knocks. That's the school I went to. Um, And I only have a ninth grade formal education. But between paperback books, trade books, magazines, I probably read almost 6,000 books. And I got five or six going at at all times. So it's kind of like writing my own book was weird because, uh, like I said, I don't have the formal education. So I didn't know where all the periods went. I didn't know, you know, where all the commas went. So the guy that uh, helped me do it had to go through and and, and fix it all and put it in and format it all. So it was it was an interesting, interesting experience. But like I said, it's just it kind of uh, it it kind of just once I wrote it, it was kind of like they say if somebody hurts you in the past, but they're dead. If you write them a letter and you burn it, it kind of like it creates that. All right. I'm done with that part of my life. And the same thing with the book. It's like, you know, once it was out there, it was like, okay, you know, now I can move on. You know, this is the second part of my life. So it was, it was a really interesting, interesting, uh, took me about almost eight months probably to do it. So, but it's getting nothing but five-star reviews on, uh, on Amazon. And one of my friends um, used it, at, he has, he has a, he's a college professor. And he used it in uh, one of his semesters of his um, college courses. So it's pretty cool. And I'm, I'm not, and I don't, uh, don't make any money on it because um, the money I do make from it goes to a foundation that helps um, help with first responders, uh, suicide awareness. Did you know that on average, because everybody here is the number twenty two? But did you know that on average, 35 first responders, including 22 veterans, commit suicide every day, 365 days a year?
1: No, I didn't know that. But, but suicide is, is definitely becoming a bigger problem in our uh, country and yeah, probably so, the world, too. So that, that's where the proceeds of the book goes, to too. So I don't, I don't see any of that money. It goes right to, to help uh, first responders. Well, that's My very- life
2: is all about giving back, brother.
1: Yeah, that's very admirable I, I i have to say so of, of all the of all the um oh, what was i going say here of all the things that you've that you've done and and you know all of your experiences so far what uh what advice do you have and and you know what what kind of uh other than what you've already said what's the main thing that you feel because i i know that podcasting itself i feel like is probably going to change the world because it's really changing the way that we um take in information as a medium in general how do what do you think about it
2: oh i think it's good it's definitely changing the world i mean everybody has a podcast now I even had one, but I stopped doing it because I don't like interviewing people. I mean, on, on the phone. I mean, I rather like when I do my Facebook lives, it's live. I love interviewing people like that. But as far as, you know, having my own podcast, uh, I'd rather be a guest any day of the week because I can just fly. I don't have to think about things. But you know, that's the great thing about having ADD. It's like I can just go on the fly on any moment on anything. But, uh, the podcast is definitely changing the game. Uh, people are now, instead of saying, you know, okay, Rich, instead of reading my book, why don't I just listen to podcasts that you're on? You know what I
1: mean? Yeah.
2: And it's like I have in my car, like when I drive to work every day, you know, I have, I have like three different podcasts that I listen to religiously every day instead of, you know, I can get up and do my cardio. If I want if I go go for a walk, I can. I can have my podcast. You can have your podcast anywhere. You know, as long as you have your phone, you know, you can listen to a podcast anywhere. And like, you know, some of my mentors have told me, you know, they say if you you, you are the, the average of the five people you hang out with the most, that's what your average is, and, and financially, uh, spiritually, all that. So, like, if, if I'm listening to your podcast. My mind doesn't know, you know, even if I don't know you personally, my mind doesn't know that I don't know you personally. My mind just um, soaks up everything that you're talking about. So if if I can I hang out with Ed Milet, which is my, my number one guy, um, and I, he starts getting into my spirit, my mind doesn't know that he's not a real friend. So that's the way you could become... To, to build up your um, circle of influence is you don't have to know a person, but if you listen to them long enough, your mind doesn't know the difference. So I think that's a big thing about podcasting is now is, you know, you can sit in instead of having to make an appointment with say like uh Damon John from FUBU. If you listen to your podcast, to his podcast, it's the same thing as being there in person.
1: You know what I mean? No, yeah, that's exactly what the point I was speaking to is that it's such a a more intimate uh, relationship with media. You know, and the way that I listen to it is through you know it, my earbuds through at work, and that's even a, a way more intimate because there, you're not passively listening now. You you have it in your ear in your head. Yeah. And I I just I just and think. You- and it's
2: amazing because some of the things that you'll you'll pick up and you're not even paying attention, but it's it's getting into your subconscious, you know, and people don't realize that, you know, you do have a subconscious to where that's why, you know, there's a reason why that they put um, TV ads. I mean, radio ads on, on, on the radio because your mind absorbs that stuff subconsciously, even if you're not thinking about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that, that's what podcasting is now podcasting is actually getting into your subconscious. You know, just uh, so if you're listen depends on what kind of, you know, podcast you're listening to. Um, if you're listening to like Joe Rogan and stuff like that, that stuff can get into your head. So it, it, you have to be careful what kind of stuff you listen to, what kind of podcast you listen to also. It's kind of like anything. You know, you, you know, you know as far as in, in the rooms go, you know, you got to stay away from people, places and things. Well, that's the same thing wh- whatever you're putting in your ears. Because if you notice, if you're listening to a podcast and it ends, and then if I turn on one of my stations and it's a if one of my, so it's a heavy metal um, song that's on, I get real aggressive. Or if it's like a a real hardcore rap song, it gets, I get real aggressive. So it's kind of like you you have to listen, be cognizant of what you're putting in your ears also.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I I can't, I couldn't agree with that uh, more. So yeah, I guess uh, let's. Why don't you go ahead and? Uh, cause I I don't remember what you said. What the book was, the name of it. So why don't you let the listeners know? You know, all your social media, all your, you know, your book information. Uh, okay.
2: The book is it's called A Hero's Journey from Darkness to Light. It's on um, Amazon Kindle, and you, if you just find my name, Richard. Kaufman, K-A-U-F-M-A-N. Um, it'll be under there. And you'll see a big picture when I was 17 years old in the military. Um, if people want to get in touch with me, like when I met Gary, because I, I, Gary's a big, big influence in my life, you know, I said, Gary, what's one thing that I could take away that I can, you know, help boom my business, my speaking business? He says, create yourself a hashtag. I was like, okay. So I created hashtag the comeback coach. So if you hashtag the comeback coach, it'll come up to all my social media, Facebook, LinkedIn, Pinterest, Twitter, Tumblr, everything will come up if you just hashtag the comeback coach. And if you're struggling today, um, just follow Richard Kaufman, K-A-U-S-M-A-N on Facebook. I can't accept any more friends. I'm at the friend limit. I'm at 5,000. But if you follow, um, I'll always get back in touch with you guys uh, if you have any questions. And my show is every Monday night, 8 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. It's called The Monday Night Comeback. And it it has people on like yourself that have been through some stuff. And um, it's 8 o'clock Eastern Standard Time every Monday. And I want to have you on. I definitely want to have you on my show. Like I said, I had my friend. um, he, He did five years in prison. And he came out and now he's helping people. And I think I would love to definitely have you on my show.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. I would, I would uh, definitely do that. I haven't guessed it on anybody's show yet. Um, so I was, you know, I, I put my, my story kind of out there on my first episode, just as sort of like a, you know, intro to me and, and qualifying myself to, you know, why, why I can talk about what I'm talking about. Um, but I, yeah, I haven't, I haven't guessed it yet.
2: Well, we're going to have to have you on,
1: brother. Cool, man. I, I appreciate it and I'm looking forward to it. So, hey man, thank you Richard. Thank you for uh your service to the country and thank you for being a guest on my uh on my show.
2: And I like you just leave one uh nugget of information for you guys. Um like my my mentors tell me, you know, two things that'll get you very far in life. Uh, stay humble and be teachable. And if you do those two things, you can't lose.
1: Great advice, man. Great advice. Well, that's a good note to end on.
2: Yep. All right, brother. Thank you so much.
1: Yeah. Thank you, man. And uh, I look forward to uh guesting on yours as well. So have a good day, brother.
2: Definitely. All right, brother.
0: Thank you for listening to the show. Thank you to Richard for sharing your story and coming on the podcast. And if you got anything out of this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes or whatever podcast platform you listen to. If you have any comments, good or bad, questions for the show, topic requests, or anything you want to say to me, you can email me at nowhere to go, but up now at gmail.com. You can follow me on Instagram at nowhere to go but up now on Twitter at but up now on Facebook, Sean Dustin. My podcast page is nowhere to go but up dot com. You can leave comments there as well on all of the episodes at the bottom of the episode. There's a place where you can have comments. My YouTube channel is nowhere to go but up now. And all of Richard's social media uh, links to his book, The Hero's Journey, his Facebook group, and anything else that pertains to him and this episode, you can find in the show notes. Until next time, keep it 100, stay true to yourself, everything else is just noise.